And my name is Nate, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you. Thanks for taking time to tune in and be a part of our series called An Unstoppable Force, the DNA of a Dangerous Church. As today and the next coming weeks, we're just looking at our core kind of values here at the church of God has called us to Christ's community and calling. And we're taking two weeks to unpack each of those. Today we're going to be talking about community, but we're talking about this because we are aligning our lives to Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, world. You are our devotion. You are where we're looking. Our eyes are fixed on you. And we're going to allow you, Jesus, to lead us, to redeem us, and to hold us together. And part of the biggest reason why we're taking time to walk through our values is this. The church is not what the followers of Jesus had in mind. When Jesus started the church, that was not what they thought was coming. What they thought Jesus was going to bring was an earthly kingdom, an earthly reign that was going to be like UFC fighter Jesus with a big sword. They were going to attack Rome. They were going to take the castle and then they were going to be back in power. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to die and I'm going to serve so that you can be redeemed, you can be set free, and then you can receive my power. So this is why we need to slow down to allow the word of Jesus to shape our lives. I don't know about you, but this season, there's been many times and many situations that I feel disoriented. Things, my schedule's gone you know, different. There's different rhythms and routines. This week alone, uh, I got two of my boys that will have a birthday. Uh, my little girl, Lily's getting baptized this weekend. It's one of these things that I'm just disoriented right now. I'm going, wow, we got birthdays, we got baptisms. I'm responsible for her spiritual development. I got to pastor her, woo, she's eight years old. Okay, this isn't just a kid anymore. And it is disorienting. And this is what I found good about the hope that I have in Jesus. The spiritual process of you and I growing as followers of Jesus. And I want to put this up on the screen. Pete Scazzaro, one of my favorite authors, he summarized what the spiritual process is. And if you and I want to be the unstoppable force that God has made the church to be, he's saying we have to understand this. That for you and I to grow in Jesus, here's what it looks like. It starts with our orientation, where we are in life. It moves to disorientation because what Jesus is gonna do in our life is not what we're living, but then Jesus moves us into reorientation. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Just quickly, you know, if you're with somebody, maybe you go, yeah, that's me. Or if you're by yourself, just answer internally to go, right now in this season, is there any place in your life that you feel you're disoriented? Think about it. It could be relationships. It could be work. It could be future. Some of us are sending your kids off to college, and right now you are disoriented with the reality of what you're facing. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is this. In the midst of our disorientation, he reorients us to the way and the love of our heavenly Father. Matter of fact, if you open the Bible, you see this happen over a number of different times. I love it. Even in the beginning of Genesis, God tells Noah to start building a boat. Right now, no, Noah probably woke up going, was that like last night's pizza? Or is God really speaking to me? What's going on? And part of it, God's like, yeah, build a boat because this is what's coming. It's like, God, it's not raining. And he's like, I know, build a boat. Then he calls Abraham. Actually, his name at the time was Abram. He says, Abram, leave everything you know and go to the land I'm going to show you. Hey, God, that sounds awesome. Where is that on the map again? I'm not going to tell you. Just leave what you know and go 
what I'm telling you. And I'm gonna bless you and you are gonna be a blessing. And Abraham struggled with that. You see Israel, God's chosen people, they are led out of captivity and here they are in the desert, totally disoriented. And God's going, no, but I got a promise land over here. I know in the midst of your, of your disorientation, I am reorienting you to the ways of God. And then when they disobey God, he leads them into captivity to say, you have lost your mind, you are disoriented, and now I need to lead you into captivity like a good parent. I need to discipline you so you can reorient your life to who I am. See, this is what Jesus comes into our life and he does in the midst of our disorientation. He reorients us to the life that God has come to give us through him. He begins to give us a clear picture of where we can go moving forward. This is why we are saved by grace through faith. We're going, no, Jesus, you are the one who's reorienting everything. As a matter of fact, this is why we're going through the book of Acts because Acts is not what the disciples saw coming. And Jesus says this, you guys want to go and take power, but here's the deal. I want to give you power. You don't need to go and take it. You don't need to go and manufacture it. All you need to do is this. You need to align your life with me. And what happens is when you align your life with me, Jesus says, you're going to receive my power. This is what it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A couple of weekends ago, we talked about how right here, Jesus coined and, you know, kind of patented the word y'all. Because what he said is this, it's not just that you're going to go and be my witness. What he was saying is this, church, y'all are going to be my witnesses. Y'all are going to go do this together. Today in our culture, we are really in an era of time that we've never been. And this is the era of what our time is. You and I can almost act totally autonomous and provide everything we need by ourselves because we're in a time of affluence. This is the richest time in the history of the entire world. And yet, when we have everything, we have more depression, we have more isolation, we have more sadness, we have more loneliness than ever. How could it be that you and I have more power, more autonomy than ever, and yet our souls are withering away? Could it be that in the midst of our disorientation, God wants to reorient us to his life and his ways? See, this is what Jesus came to do. He said, I've come to give you power through the Holy Spirit and y'all, I'm gonna lead you back into this way of life of you and I being this church, broken people who are held by Jesus and you are gonna go and be my witnesses. I'm gonna call you into something bigger than yourself, which all of us want a story bigger than ourselves. That's what we long for. That's why, especially here in Indiana, we love the movie Hoosiers, right? We love the movie Rudy. Matter of fact, my Purdue fans, you know, all here in the, in the Northside family, that's what they give me a hard time about because I'm an IU basketball fan, but I'm a Notre Dame football fan because IU only has basketball. And they're going, you don't have a football team really to support, so you got to cheer on Notre Dame. And that's the only jab Purdue ha fans have with me, and we go back and forth. But he's saying this, it is about y'all being my witnesses in the world. But that was not what the disciples were expecting. They wanted to be warriors. Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses. And when you are my witness, I will fill you with my power that the world cannot offer you. 
that your soul is clamoring for and dying for, and I want to give it to you. See, this is why we need to allow Jesus, in the midst of our disorientation, reorient us to the way of his life. And all you have to do is read over in Acts chapter 2. That's what we looked at last week. If you missed last week, go back and watch it. But what you find is this. Jesus doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. He begins to deliver in unbelievable ways. When the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, Peter stands up and he preaches Jesus. And then what was amazing is this. Over 3,000 people said 3,000 people plus they had over 120 disciples already. So now the church goes from 120 to over 3,000 people in a single day and they're baptized. As a pastor, you're going, man, what an unbelievable feeling. I had a friend tell me though this one time. He said, Nate, here's the only thing about a packed auditorium. The only person who likes that is the pastor. Everybody else (laughs) hates being a packed auditorium. Everybody else hates all the parking, all this other stuff. But I wonder what that day must have been like when the disciples realized I had this plan in mind. And when they saw 3,000 people baptized, they went, Jesus is doing more than whatever I could dream or imagine. See, this is why we need Jesus to reorient our lives because we're disoriented. We're disoriented. And the beautiful thing about it is this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, I want to just kind of begin to to line out. This is really a summary of what happened after that moment. 3,000 people are baptized. The disciples are eyes. They're opened to this unstoppable force, this power of the Holy Spirit speaking through broken people. And now 3,000 people are baptized and lives are being changed and they don't know what to do about it. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Right after those people are baptized, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning Jesus' teaching about the resurrection and what he had been teaching them because they were eyewitnesses, and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Boy, that's really the power of the Holy Spirit there, isn't it? To have all of the believers together with everything coming. And not only that, they were selling their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then check this out. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Luke is writing this to Theophilus and he's given a summary of what happened when the power of the Holy Spirit came in in the midst of the disciples' disorientation and God began to reorient their life around the presence of the Holy Spirit and around the purpose of the church to be his witnesses in the entire world. And then now they're beginning to be this y'all. They're beginning to be this community. And this is what I want us to kind of grab our mind around a little bit today. If we want to experience, and this is what I'm calling today's sermon, it is all, we're talking about this idea of an unstoppable force. And if we're going to be an unstoppable force as a church, we are going to be a community of unity. A community of unity. And we're going to talk about how God's going to reorient our life to that. But if we're going to live the ways of Jesus, if we're going to see the experience that the early church had here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, here's what we've got to wrap our minds around. It's simply this. You may want to write this down. 
that the church that's unstoppable is faithful in the small things. The church that's unstoppable is faithful in the small things. I talked about, you know, just as a pastor, our desire, man, we'd love a packed house. Here I am preaching to a camera. Awkward. Here it is, man. I, you know, we love a packed house. We love the mountaintop experience. You know, we're, we're dying inside because, you know, Big Ten canceled football. What are we going to do? I mean, we're just going to eat chili this fall and just, you know, kind of stare at the grass, I guess, you know. And we're going, man, I'm losing these mountaintop experiences. I'm losing all these things that we live for. And what we find is this. We live for those mountaintop experiences, but we're really shaped in the valley. We want the mountaintop. But everything that we find getting to the mountaintop takes place in the valley. It's the small things. What we find the church exploding in the book of Acts is this. They did the small things well. They were faithful in the small things. Matter of fact, this is what I want us to get us reoriented to today. There's three things that I find here that God's saying, here are the small things that I just want you to begin to reorient. And I think right now, especially in this time of quarantine and this time of things are, are changing, I believe it's not just we're waiting to have everything opened up. I believe God is doing something even deeper, especially in us as the church, that we're having an opportunity to reorient our lives to him in a way that we've never had possible before. And here's the thing I'm seeing God reorient in the life of the church and what he's calling us to reorient our lives to in Jesus is simply this. He's reorienting our lives to move from me to we. He's saying, here's what it looks like to be an unstoppable force, that you move from just me to now we. Do you see the first word there? They devoted themselves. It was no longer me we say this when you get baptized, that this is where we are accepting Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Here's the only thing. When you become a follower of Jesus, nothing is personal anymore. Everything is now about being the body of Christ. It's no longer just about you and Jesus. It is now about us and his church together. Every single one of us walking together from me to we. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter two, you see this reflective in the life of God. When he created everything good, the thing he saw that was not good. Anybody remember this? That man was what? Alone. Well, why was that not good? Because we are made in the image of God. God himself exists as three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself is in a life group all the time. Everything that God is, he is always in community. You and I were made for community. We were made for it. I love what Dan Rockwell, he's one of my favorite Christian leaders. I get an email from him every day, not personally, but like I signed up, subscribed to his leadership blog. I highly recommend him. Dan Rockwell is his name. And listen to this quote he had the other day. I was reading it and this was just perfect. He said this, he said, we discover who we are, not in isolation, but in connection. Isolation leads to self-deception. That's why our mission here is simply this. We want to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. Because when you connect to Jesus Christ, you connect to community, you connect to your calling, you connect to your purpose, you connect, you reorient your life to the life that God created you for. It's not good for you and I to be alone. It's not good for you and I to make decisions by ourselves. 
we'll talk ourselves into anything, won't we? Well, I mean, I, I, I've been working hard this week. I, I think I deserve that. And here's the thing. God is saying, no, I want to reorient you, church. I want you to see, and this is you and I being faithful to the small things, because what I found is this, that godly community is what leads us into maturity. It's this godly community. This is the gift of the church, you and I. Even though we can't be together in the physical space, as we get to have conversations, as you're listening to this, I guarantee you this, the Spirit is already speaking things into your life or there might be some things I'm saying that I have no idea what's going on in your life. And you're like, man, have you been spying on me? No, but the Holy Spirit is with you and he's calling you into maturity. He's going, I'm calling you. I'm reorienting you into this new life, away from me to we. Because he's saying, I have so much for you to experience. Because what was interesting at that time was this. When Jesus gave power to the Holy Spirit, Rome was still in charge. The Pharisees still ran the temple. And yet 3,000 people were meeting in homes because all they had was the Holy Spirit in each other. The church started as a grassroots movement. That this whole thing was this movement of God that wasn't waiting for us to take power. He was waiting for us to receive power. He was waiting for us to receive grace. He's waiting for us to receive redemption. He's waiting for us to step into the life that he has for us. There is so much that God has for us. And, and I'll be honest, when I read this, this sounds kind of a little bit like a fairy tale because it says all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Right before that, he just listed over 16 different nations that had come together, that had heard the name of Jesus. And so now all these nations are together. I mean, political parties can't even get along today. And yet all these nations were together. How could they have everything in common? They had everything in common because they had the only thing that mattered in common. It's Jesus. See, Jesus is our hope today on how we transcend difficult conversations. Jesus is our hope today about how we come together and mourn and grieve and talk about what's going on. Jesus is our hope about how the different nations can get together. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't mean that there wasn't quibble and fights and all this other stuff that went on within the church because we're human, but it was Jesus who united the church. It was Jesus who continued to bring the church together, and it is Jesus who will hold the church together forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. See, this is how you and I can have hope for unity. Here's how you and I can become a community of unity because God is committed to his unity with us through Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what was happening. They had everything together. This is why we talk about groups so much. Matter of fact, the only numerical goal that I have for our church is simply this. There's not a number about how big I want. I mean, God, you're going to grow the church. You're the one who changes life. The only number that I'm really chasing is simply this. I long to see 80% of our church in a life group. I long for that. Because what happens is this. That means you're reorienting your life to really being the church. Church isn't a me game. It's a we game. It's a we doing this together. It's a y'all being witnesses together. Y'all living out the ways of Jesus. Y'all not giving in to self-deception and believing the lies that Satan wants you to believe 
or only letting you lead your own decisions. See, this is about the church thriving. Matter of fact, if you're not in a life group or you're going, man, I want more information. Our life group team, man, they want to reach out. We know this is a difficult time. They want to have a conversation. You can simply do this. If you want some information, we're even going to put this up on the screen. Just text the word groups to 41411. Or you can go to mynorthside.com slash groups. I'm telling you, this is something that I'm committed to. I'm in a life group. It's not just me saying, hey, y'all need to do this. I mean, I'm not in one, but you should be in one, you know, because Jesus will love you more. No, I'm committed to this, man. I'm going, yeah, I know I got young kids and, you know, we had gymnastics start this week and T-ball started back up, you know, and we've got all these things going on, but I'm going, no, 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 no. This community thing, it's a we thing. It's not just a me thing. And we're saying we want you in on this because this is what it also goes on to say, selling their possessions they gave to everyone who had need. This is the beautiful thing about the church. We talk about serve day. This is why we do serve day twice a year. This is why we're always constantly doing trips because the church should be the most generous people in the world. We should be finding needs, stepping into them. Even if it's outside of serve day, man, step up and meet the need if God's calling you to meet the need. Matter of fact, if you look in the New Testament, over 100 times, it says this phrase, one another. And they served one another, bearing with one another, loving one another. God knows this, the only way you will reorient your life to Jesus is a one another life. It's one another. That's why we believe in serve day. That's why we believe in all of this. Matter of fact, Galatians talks about this. Galatians chapter five, Paul says this to the church because they had lost their way. They had become disoriented as the church and he's writing to reorient them to the ways of Jesus. And listen to what he says in verse six, Galatians chapter five. He says, the only thing that counts, Paul narrows it down. He goes here, okay, bottom line. The only thing that counts is this, faith expressing itself through love. Church, that's what it means to be the church today. Faith expressing itself through love. Through love. Doesn't mean we can't disagree with one another. What it does mean is this. We need to learn how to disagree and not destroy each other. Faith expressing itself through love. Faith shaping our lives through love. I remember when I was eight years old, here I am, I'm 38 now, so this memory still sticks with me from 30 years ago. I remember it was a Monday night, we lived over in Louisville, my dad was a pastor there in 1990, and I remember it was Monday night, and on every Monday night in my neighborhood, all of us dudes would come out, all of us eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old boys, we'd all come out, and we'd all yell, you know, are you ready for some football? And it was Monday night, we'd always play tackle, and we'd play tackle on the street, which might not have been the wisest thing, but we'd play tackle football out in the street. And I remember one Monday night, all the guys are getting together. I would get out there and dad comes out and he says, Nate, get in the car. I'm like, well, no, dad, I don't know if you know this, but today is Monday, my man. And it is Monday night football with the boys. And he said, nope. He goes, we have something to do, get in the car. I remember this, eight years old. I got in that car 
And let's just say this, my faith was not expressing itself through love, all right? We'll, we'll just summarize it the best I would. You know, I'm pouting, and I'm looking down, and I just, you know, dumb dad, you know, it's taking me away. And we show up, and I don't even know, but he's got the mower in the back, and he's got rakes in the back uh, of the car as well. And we show up, and we get out, and he gives me a rake. He says, all right, start raking the leaves. Start raking the leaves. Raking the leaves, he's mowing, we're doing, I'm like, what, did he start a landscaping business, right? What, you know, the side hustle, you a bivocational pastor now, what, what's going on? And then finally we get done, and of course I pouted all through that. We get done. And the man who was living in the home, Guy Looney, walks out with, this is how long ago, it was when you had like the glass Pepsi bottles, right? Walks out with some glass Pepsi bottles, and I'd never seen a man who looked like Guy Looney before. Jaundice, yellow, because he was dying. He came out and he sat with us on the front porch. And here I am 30 years ago remembering a Pepsi on a porch. And I remember driving home that night with my dad and I said this. I finally put it together. There's some things that are better than Monday night football. In my disorientation, Jesus was reorienting me to his kingdom. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. See, it's not a me thing. It's a we thing. It's a we thing. This is why parents, you cannot wait to disciple your kid. We want to partner with you. We want to give you opportunities like serve day, but help your kids, help your friends, help your family step in and express faith through love. Matter of fact, I remember in junior, actually it was high school, the darkest time that I had spiritually was this. I was actually going to three church services a week at two different churches. The only problem is this, faith was not expressing itself through love. Church had become a me thing, not a we thing. No wonder it was the darkest time in my life. Isn't it weird? You can go to a couple different churches at the same time, maybe even go to church four or five days a week and still go through the darkest time. And here's what Jesus was reorienting me to. And this is what he was reorienting the church to. In Acts chapter 2, it's simply this. He's saying, I want to reorient you from being busy to being devoted. See, the problem in my dark time was this. I was busy, but I wasn't devoted to the things of Jesus. I love this quote. It's by Wall Street Journal, Laura Vanderkam. And she said this. She said, too many times we say this phrase, man, I'm just so busy. Nate, I know I need to get in a life group. I, I, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do serve day. I mean, I know I need to do these things. Man, I'm just so busy. And she said, here's what we need to start saying. And I love this. This stuck with me, man. One, it pierced me. It convicted me. She said, instead of saying, I'm just so busy, say this. It's just not a priority. I mean, I know I need to do community. I know I need to be in this life group thing. Don't say it's not, you're not, you know, you're so busy. Say this. 
Yeah, that community is just not a priority. That stings a bit. Yeah, I know I need to go express my faith through love, but uh, it's just not a priority to me. And man, when I heard that phrase, that brought deep conviction into me. And this is what it says the disciples did. They devoted themselves. They are imperfect people. And this is what they're saying. I love that word devotion. It means this. It's this frequency and intensity. It's giving themselves to this over and over again, just to this life of Jesus. And they say four things here that they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the word, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. And I just want to pack those. It, those aren't commands. Those are just what they did. They always made time for God's word. Okay, tell us about this disciples. Tell us what Jesus said. Okay, what, how did that fulfill the Old Testament? What does that mean for us now? I heard this phrase a pastor say, I don't know where he got it. So it wasn't original with me, but man, it has stuck with me. Here's why God's word means so much to us. Because the voice that you listen to is the voice that disciples you. The voice that you listen to is the voice that disciples you. Had a friend over the past couple months, she told our, our life group this, she said this, she said, I no longer look at Facebook as the first thing I do in the morning because what was happening was this, it was discipling her. Social media, there's great things and there's bad things. Here's the thing, if we're not careful, it will be our voice more than the Holy Spirit. The voice you listen to, it's the voice that disciples you. This is why the early church gave themselves to God's word. Matter of fact, I love this. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. This isn't just an ancient book. It is alive, speaking to our hearts now. And listen to what it says. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This is why we read God, God's word. Matter of fact, I heard this and I love it. It's not, will you read God's word? It's, will you let God's word read you. It's not just will you have a quiet time in the morning. It's will you continually let the Bible speak quietly into your heart and into your mind and disciple you. Man, there's been days when I've read the Bible, I couldn't even make it through a chapter because what I've read stopped me in my tracks. And I went, hold up. God, you need to deal with that in my life. And you know what he was doing? He was judging the thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. Someday, reading the Bible, it's just one verse. Because God has to deal with a lot of things in us. This is what they did. They gave themselves to the word of God. They allowed it to reorient their life. They were so disoriented. They were leaving this life of sin. They were leading all these other cultural voices and they were going, no, 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 we need to hear the word of God. Even Jesus, when he started his ministry, he started it by 40 days of prayer and fasting, listening to the spirit. And when he was tempted in the desert, do you remember what he said to defend the temptations that Satan threw his way? It was scripture. He quoted Deuteronomy. He quoted the word of God. It was his weapon in the midst of a spiritual battle. And you and I are in a fight today. And this is what the early church did. They gave themselves to God's word. But here's the thing. They didn't just say, okay, did you read your Bible today? Great. You know, because they didn't even have the full Bible yet. It says this, that they gave themselves to the fellowship. This fellowship word means this. It's like this brotherhood, this sisterhood, this whole camaraderie, this unity. 
Churches, a lot of times will have fellowship halls uh, and, and every fellowship hall, I, I don't know what happened. God needs to redeem this, but every fellowship hall I went to growing up always had weak Kool-Aid, man. It was like somebody throw another $5 in the plate so we can get the real quota of Kool-Aid because I am not tasting and seeing the goodness of God here in this fellowship hall. It, but here's a, here what it was. It was just kind of like a lot of times it was a place to go get cookies and Kool-Aid. But when this word fellowship is here in the Bible, you know what it means? It means to be a people who walk in obedience to Jesus together. That when you and I come together, let's ask how each other are doing because we really want to know. But beyond just how are you and I doing, this is what the fellowship of the church is. It's this, hey, how are you doing? And then it begins this, and what is God doing in your life? And then it gets deeper. And what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? What God's stirring in your heart. Here's the thing. God's stirring in your heart right now. He's wanting to move you from the disorientation into the reorientation of the life of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what the fellowship's all about, us coming together. This is why I keep so many coaches and close friends and people together in my life because I know this, in my disorientation by myself, I will get lost and I need the fellowship of believers I need this community around me. Hey, Nate, what are you seeing the Spirit do? How are you doing that? What does this look like? Are you stepping into that? Are you obeying what's going on? And then it says this, and they broke bread. Praise God. God says one of the most spiritual things you can do is go have a meal with people. Matter of fact, did you realize that one of the, the ways that Jesus did most of his ministry was through meals? Go back and read the life of Jesus. Because he knows this, ministry happens, maturity happens through community. It's through community. It's through this dialogue, not just a monologue. It's through us going through the things of God, sharing meals together. I love the fact, I've talked to several families. They said this, during this whole COVID time and all this other stuff, they said, we have had more family meals together. And they said, going forward, that is not gonna stop. I love it. You know what that means? God is reorienting your life around his priorities. That we share meals together. And then it said this, the last one is they prayed. They, they prayed their heads off. You'll see it all the way through Acts. Every time there was something, they prayed. They would pray through the night together. They would constantly pray. Matter of fact, what we want to do is this. We want to be praying. I love this. Through the rest of the series, we want to be praying the same prayer and reading the same scripture together. Not just because we have to, but just as a way of community. Just because we can't be together. It's like, man, let's read the word of God together. Let's pray together. And so if you've been signed up for our prayer prompts, you, on Monday, you'll start getting these texts in the morning where you'll go, hey, here's a word together. That means we're all going to read that. Then we're going to pray that throughout the prayer. So we're praying and we're reading God's word together. If you haven't signed up for that, just simply text the word join God, one word, join God to 41411. Here's what I love about this. We've had over 6,000 people sign up for this. And what would it look like to have 6,000 people faithfully reading God's word and praying the same prayer together? What could God do in the life of his church in the next month if we went after God together? Church, my prayer is that we would be faithful in the small things. In the small things. His word, prayer, this fellowship, this community, eating meals together, going after the things of God. Because here's what happens. When we go after the things of God, he reorients us away from wandering to watching the movement of God. From wandering, God, where are you? 
to watching. God, there you go. Did you see how this passage ended in verse 47? Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's easy for us in this time right now to go, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Instead, maybe we should pray this prayer. God, where are you working today? God, wherever you're working today, would you help me to see you? God, whatever you're doing today, would you help me to see you? I love it. On Monday of this week, I had an impromptu conversation. Yeah, it was with one of our maintenance guys here at the church. He pulled up in one of the work trucks here and we had a conversation just out here in the parking lot. He said, Nate, just had to tell you this. And just, just on Monday, totally impromptu. And he said this, here I am, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm praying about this sermon of community and we're praying about all the life groups and praying together and word. And he said, I just want to let you know. He said, in two weeks, I step up to be a life group leader for the first time. And I got, I had to, this is an unbelievable story. I want to show you a picture. This is Russ Gore and his wife, Mindy. I think you got a picture of him here. Now here's the deal about Russ. Russ is hilarious. Love that he's on staff with us. But he said, Nate, here's what's powerful. Over the last eight months, God has been prompting me in his life group. He said, God has been prompting me to start stepping up to leading a life group. He said, I thought this was the craziest thing. I'm like, God, that, that, no, 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 that's weird. Not me. He said, then one night at dinner, a couple weeks ago, at dinner, his wife looked at him and said, so when are you going to lead a life group? He said, about drop my fork on the floor. He said, well, the last eight months, God has been telling me to step out and begin to lead. Here's the thing about Russ's story that's so incredible. It's not just that he's willing to lead. Man, praise God for that. I love that. It's that six and a half years ago, Russ began his journey of becoming drug-free. Had been a drug abuser for as long as he could remember. He said in six and a half years ago, here I am just in the parking lot hearing this for the first time. He said, Nate, six and a half years ago, he said, I had tried hundreds of times, hundreds of times to quit all these drugs and nothing worked. And he said, finally, one night, I just sat there and cried out to God, help me. And he said, and that was the day it began to change. In the midst of Russ's absolute disorientation, a reorientation began to the life and the grace of Jesus. A life of grace, of freedom, not without temptation, not without struggle, but to the power of God and to the community from this me to this we. And he's in this group, he's in the Darlings Life Group. And in the next two weeks, he's gonna to begin to lead and they're stepping up and they're raising up. And he's going, Nate, I, I, I know I'm not ready, but God is calling me and I'm gonna step out into this. And what Russ is not doing is this going, God, I wonder where you are. He's going this, God, I'm watching where you are and I'm gonna step into it. I'm watching and I'm seeing what you're calling me to. 
and I'm gonna step into all that you have for me. My question for us today is this, where are we disoriented right now? That we need the reorientation of Jesus. Think about it for a moment. Where are you disoriented? See, Jesus never asked you and I to have our lives figured out. You know what he asked? That that we would be his witnesses, full of his power, being his church together. Here in a moment, I want to guide us in to a time of communion. See, we do communion here every week. We take this bread and we take this juice. And the reason why is this, because we're disoriented in life. We're confused, we're lost, we're hurt, we're broken, we're scared, we're terrified, we're called into leadership, we're called into different directions. And see, when we take the bread and the juice, what we're declaring is this, Jesus, you are my reorientation. Jesus, you are my life. What you did on the cross, dying to take away the sins of humanity, rising again to give us life, purpose, direction, and a future. You lead my life. And what I wanna do right now is this, I wanna invite you to bring all of your disorientation to the one who reorients our life. We're gonna put a scripture up on the screen. I just wanna give you time to pray right now. Maybe you're with your family. Maybe you got a home life group watching this together. Take this time to pray. Take this time to take communion. Take the bread and the juice and go, however confused I am, God, you're leading me forward because you're with me. God with us. That's Emmanuel. That's Jesus. And so right now, let's reflect on this scripture. Let's delight in what Christ has done for us. And in a moment, I'll come back and close this in prayer. But let's reorient our lives to him right now. Let me pray for us. Father, those words are so good that you alone are the one who's overcome the world. That Father, there's so much in the world that overwhelms us. God, there's so much within just us that overwhelms us. But Jesus, we believe in you. We believe that you have come to set us free. We believe it is you who is leading us forward. And so Father, as your church in thousands of places right now, Jesus, would you align our hearts to you? Would you align our our purpose to you? Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the love that we have in Jesus. Thank you for not leaving us alone, but leading us into life eternal. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And everybody said, amen.